1: Learn more at Marines.com.
2: Bust and Loose Baseball, episode 83 comes your way. You will hear an interview with rookie outfielder Jacob Young after his first ever walk-off hit in the major leagues. He's made outstanding defensive plays, both throwing the ball and making diving catches. We'll ask him about his early days in the major leagues. Plus, big news on Steven Strasburg. All of a sudden, his press conference to retire has been pushed back. We don't know when it's going to take place and more major changes in the front office. We got plenty to cover. Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 83, starts now.
1: and Bust, Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer.
2: This is Boston Loose Baseball, episode 83. Toby Allsizer, Grant Paulson. Why don't we begin with the really strange Stephen Strasburg news, uh, news, Toby, and that is that Stras, who was scheduled to have met with the media, had a press conference on Saturday at 2.30, is not going to take part in a press conference. There won't be one. There won't be a ceremony. Now there's some mixed reporting on whether his jersey was going to be retired or it wasn't. Bottom line, nothing's happening at the ballpark because – according to reports from Brit Ciroli, Jesse Docker among others, there is now an issue between the team, probably ownership and Strasbourg over it sounds like how much money he's going to be paid of the 105 million that remains regardless though they're trying to iron out some details seemed like that had already happened but apparently it <laughs> hasn't and now there's no ceremony.
3: Yeah, I mean, we were kind of talking about this before where we'd heard reports that apparently he was going to get all the cash, but he was retiring early before the deal was done. So we're thinking that maybe there was a way that they could get some cash back. And now, you know, we're getting all types of reports because we saw the reports that said that he was going to be owed all the money. And then it seemed like we've seen some reports. And even when Mike Rizzo was on with the junkies, he gave an answer that basically said he was going to get his money until he decided his future would hold, which we all, all understand he's going to retire. Like, I think that's the w- number one thing we need to take away from this. Like it's a, it's obviously going to be weird stuff going on over the next couple of weeks. And while we try to figure out this contract situation, everything, but Strasburg's not going to come back and pitch. Like he's, he's done. They're trying to figure out this contract thing though, because we've seen both sides of it. Like we've seen like, oh, he was going to get all the money. Now maybe there's a way that they could get some back. And I'd understand if this were something that, you know, they would keep going back and forth on. But then why would you, they never officially scheduled a press conference. The nationals never put anything out there, but we had reports. So then why in the world were we getting those sorts of reports? Why was it even something that was getting out to us and getting out to the media when they hadn't ironed it out yet? I mean, it's something that they basically, I guess, set themselves a deadline where they'd kind of plan to do it this Saturday And they were thinking, okay, we'll get it ironed out by then. Let me jump in real
2: quick on that because I got a couple nuggets. Number one, they had started to get the word out, I would say, behind the scenes to the media this week that there was a press conference coming on Saturday. In other words, people that carry the press conference and who are going to be involved were being told Saturday, 2.30. It just hadn't been announced publicly yet. But it was set... It was ready. I mean, there was a press conference plan. So that's the first thing. The other thing is I have talked to someone who said that Strasburg was preparing for the press conference. He knew about it. I know he's in town because I saw video uh, and pictures of him at a Morgan Wallen concert with a bunch of Nats and Caps players from the last several years who went together uh, to the concert that T.J. Oshie and his wife had posted on some party bus. So Strauss has been here. I don't know if he lives here full time still or if he just came back this week to do that and to have this press conference. But I will just say that supposedly he had agreed to and was expecting to be a part of a press conference. There was also from the team side, from what I have heard, uh, the normal way of going about letting everyone know there was going to be a press conference on Saturday to get everyone's ducks in a row. Cause the way it works is you're, you're not just going to kind of announce at noon. Hey, we have a press conference at two 30. Like you need, if you want TV cameras there, if you want uh television to carry it, whatever, like you need to start disseminating that information. So to my knowledge, they were doing that. So it was on and then it was off. The, the Geroli report. I'm sure you saw is the one that, gives me the most, I would say, anxiety about what's going on, maybe is the way to put it. Um, I I can say that I've corroborated and can confirm, at least on the Strasburg side of this conversation, that the way that I think Stras feels, and I haven't talked directly to him, is that the team came to him and said, we're going to pay you the remaining $105 million that we owe you after this season. Why don't you retire? And he decided that he was willing to do that. They're going to pay me. I'm going to retire. And somehow the terms have changed. Now, I haven't heard back from the team. I don't exactly know what their stance is, if they agree or disagree with that reporting. But here's, I'm going to read the Jiroli tweet for you. She said, it was the Nationals who approached Strasburg about retiring and paying him the full amount of his contract. Sources briefed on the matter say the team wants to change the terms meaning what I heard. They went to him. They said, hey, we're going to pay you 105000000 bucks. million. We'll pay you the remainder of the contract if you're willing to retire. Because the way it's been described to me is there's like no mystery here. There's not a chance he's pitching again. The Nats know that, and he knows that. So I think their point, Toby, was like, what's with the charade? You know, it's a, it's a very negative thing right now when people say, Strasburg's eating up all this money and he's never going to pitch again. He's not going to come back. You can kind of spin that narrative on his face if you retire his jersey and you have a press conference and you play a bunch of World Series highlights. And now it's just the injury ate his career apart, uh, ruined everything, but he retired. And and now instead of every time he comes up, it's, you know, when's the last time he pitched? Is he ever going to pitch again? You've spun the narrative. So I think that's kind of why they wanted to move this thing forward the question is, if Brit and what I'm hearing is right,
3: like what changed and why were they willing to do it? And now they're not. If that's true. Yeah. My thing is, I don't necessarily have an issue with the Nationals saying, hey, we'd like to have some cash back. But then why would you agree to that deal in the first place? Or it sounds like why would you even approach Strasburg with that deal in the first place? Because obviously you don't want to have to pay all of it out. And if you're Steven Strasburg. I think you already understand you're not pitching again. And the only way that maybe you were going to get all that cash, you'd assume was, all right, I have to keep going through this farce where I'm supposedly trying to get back. But right now, all I'm really doing is just sitting at home and not doing a whole lot of anything because I need this to heal and not even to pitch again, but just to be a normal human being again, where I can use my right arm. And so I don't think he was ever planning to, but maybe he would have just continued doing the thing where he's, trying to ramp back up, but we all know that it just wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, we've said all of our nice things about Strasburg and all these things because we just assumed it was done. But now, you know, the Nationals, if they're going back on their word, it's just a horrendous look for them. If that's something that's true, where they walked up and said, hey, here's your deal, which is a deal that if you're Steven Strasburg is perfect because I wasn't going to pitch again anyways. I don't need to continue to act like I'm trying to come back to get my money. And I earned it. You know, he was a World Series MVP, so I don't think you can question that. Obviously, the contract sucks for Nationals fans and for the Nats themselves. But at the same point, he feels he earned it, and rightfully so. And so if you're Strasburg, you're obviously going to take it. And then for you to come back on all of that, not only have I done a lot for your organization, but then you come out – after you've already promised me you'd pay it and I could basically walk away a hero still and walk away with my cash because like you said, they could flip the narrative a little bit and then they're going to walk back on that. Like that can't feel good for Steven Strasberg because this is a guy that is given so much and I understand there's pros and cons on both sides of this thing, but it's just a terrible look for the Nationals if that really is true and that's what's going on. So let's assume for a second that
2: they did go to Strasbourg. tell him they want to pay the whole $105 million, ask him to retire, said let's move forward with the ceremony. He agreed to the terms. They set a date when he would be in D.C. and be willing to do it. Okay, that, basically the Giroli report. Let's just assume that that's correct. We, we can look at the other side of it in a minute. To me, there's only really two reasons how we got here then that they changed their mind, right? One way would be that Major League Baseball, whether that be, I'm going to say the commissioner's office or other owners, went to the learners or somebody and said, no, don't do this. You guys can't have a guy retire and pay him all the money left on his deal. That sets a really awful precedent. If you think about it, when you retire, you walk away, correct? So in sports, when someone retires, they are forfeiting – what's left on their deal. But normally, mutually, they get together with the team and they work out some portion of that money, like a settlement, that that they get paid. And so that was kind of what I thought would happen with Strasburg initially. When I heard and saw the the Post story several weeks ago that he would be announcing his retirement, there was nothing in the story about how much money he was going to be owed. It wasn't really until Nightingale, I think, Bob Nightingale of USA Today came out and said that he was going to get all the money, that we heard anything about what was going to happen with the remaining 105 mil over three years, plus whatever prorated version he's owed the rest of this season. But all that having been said, what is common, I would say, you tell me if you disagree with this, Tobe, I think what's normal is that in that situation, the player and the team say, okay, if you kept playing, you'd get 105. In this case, if you just kept, quote unquote, rehabbing and pretending you could come back. I don't mean that nefariously. But if you just kind of went through the motions and did this dance for three more years, you could keep cash and checks. Why don't we give you 75 mil? You let us out of 30 million, and we'll shake hands and call a day, have a presser, and we'll reminisce about how amazing you were. Like something like that. When it was announced he would get paid everything by Nightingale initially, that surprised me. But if they really told him that and are now backtracking, I would imagine it's possible that either the commissioner's office and or other owners or someone involved in you know, just spending on players kind of said, you're screwing us over. Not to mention it's an ownership group that right now is, is in some hot water with just not spending within their own fan base and some of their decision-making they're trying to sell. So if I'm someone who owns a team and plans on being an owner for the long haul, I don't want them in, as one of their last acts just paying out this guy that they had a great relationship with and setting this new precedent. So in a couple of years when my starter, who's got four years left at $100 million, says, oh, Strasburg got it. Well, I won you a World Series. Do it for me. So that is one possibility. Um, so think about that for a second. The other would be, and I think it's one of these two things, they just decided along the way somewhere, actually, we're pinching pennies everywhere. We're blowing out scouts. We're downsizing front office staff we're haggling with Mike Rizzo over his contract these are all things i'm speculating but reading between the leaves on right but we're doing all these things we're counting cups and we're we're choosing the cheaper napkins right and yet we're just going to hand this guy 105 million wait a second let's get some of this money back we don't have to give him all 105 and they just kind of had a change of heart to me that's not as realistic as the first one but i I've been racking my brain all day. Those are the two things I've come up with if this story's true. And at some point several weeks ago, they told him they'd pay him, and now they're not willing to.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because I think it might be a combination of both. Honestly, I think that both of those are really good because, like you said, you don't want to set a precedent where some dude signs a huge contract, which baseball contracts get outrageously big. And so think of a guy like – you know, a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado or, you know, one of these pitchers like a Strasburg that gets a lot of money and they're getting 30 million a year and they've got three years left. And they're like, well, you know, I'm at the end of it. I'm, you know, I'm 40 years old or something around there. It's time to call it quits. Are they just expected to get the 90 million? And it'd be interesting to consider, even if it's not something that has to deal with an injury, like obviously with Strasburg, he would love to still be out on the mound, but he just physically cannot do it. What if someone gets a little bit older and they can still play? It's not like they can play every day in the outfield like they once did, but they can still play. Are they still owed their entire contract? So I think it's interesting because you would think that just the general way that you would think as common sense as humans is – I'm going to retire, like you said. I you owe the 105, maybe the Nationals come and say, "Hey, we'll pay you 60," and your agent comes back and say, "Hey, make it 80 and we're good," and they come back and say 70 and shake hands and it's done. You know, those simple negotiations that you do all the time. You would think it'd be something along those lines, obviously more complicated because of the numbers, but something along those lines. And then you think about it with the Nationals like how they are pinching pennies. You know, if it's something where they could save 30 million dollars and let's be honest, the Rizzo thing, if it's held up because of money, it's not 30 million dollars worth. It's a couple million here or there every year. Like it's not something that's huge like that. And so if they're pinching pennies like that and they're moving on and, you know, from the reports we were talking about where scouts are getting fired, we obviously talked about the and hearing your conversation with Brit Girolli is it something where they're just completely moving on from these guys because your first assumption is okay they're moving on from these guys and they're gonna bring people in to replace it to try over and see if that you know new people can do a better job but from the sound of it there's a possibility that they're getting rid of these people and not replacing them and if that's the case then I think your second point there does make a little bit of sense because even saving maybe even just 15 or 20 million with it, that could pay for Mike Rizzo, that could pay for some of these things, and it can help out the learners when they're looking at every single penny that they're making and like, man, (laughs) we need to either sell this thing really quickly or because we're not doing so well. So it's it's a very interesting thing because so much of this stuff is just odd. It was such a nice season for this Nationals team, and now we're kind of mired in something that we've dealt with with another team in town for so long.
2: Yeah, it's, it's super frustrating. And this week has been uh, somewhere between infuriating and a disaster at a front yeah. office level. I would say we'll get into some of the other details. You mentioned the Giroli interview. Let's actually, it's very short. It's from our, uh, like our Beltway Blitz segments, a little four and five minute interviews, basically, that we do every day on the show on Grant and Danny in D.C. We'll put that at the uh, end of this podcast. Um, so you'll hear from Jacob Young the outstanding, young, speedy outfielder who I have a man crush on and just love so much. (laughs) Uh, And then you'll hear from Britt Giroli and some of the things that Toby just referenced. But, yeah, it's been somewhere between, like, really infuriating to just a complete disaster this week uh, at the front office level. We'll get to some of the other reasons why. But the other side of this, I'm trying to present maybe the team-friendly version after what I just said was, I think, Strasburg's side, but the side I believe for the record. Like It's hard for me to take the side of the learners at this point. While they're uh, not giving Rizzo an extension, it doesn't appear. While Johnny DePuglia is resigning. While scouts are being fired. While they're cutting back spending pretty massively from what we can see. Now supposedly Strasburg's camp is saying uh, you told us one thing and you're doing another. I'm going to probably assume that there's some smoke to that fire with everything going on. But the other side could be, and I think whereas Giroli clearly is reporting and getting intel from the, you know, the Strauss side, maybe. Jesse Doherty's report today from the Post that provided some important clarity is a little more Nationals-friendly, may have come from their side of things. He said, this has been brewing since the start of the week. The Nationals in Strasbourg are still hammering out details of his retirement terms, so an official announcement will come at a later date. Strasbourg's plans have not changed. Translation, Strasburg is still retiring. The big difference there in terms of diction and just the words he's choosing to use, Richeroli said, the Nats okie-doked him. They told him one thing and now they're doing another. They've changed course. Whereas Jesse is making it sound like the team and the player are still hammering out details as if this has been this ongoing process. They thought maybe they'd have it done by now, but they don't. They haven't quite agreed on the number and that this has been, you know, this extensive conversation. The only thing I would say to that is, I've been around the Scott Boris crew for a long, long time. I have a hard time believing weeks ago because that date of September 9th, like we've been hearing about that since when that first post story came out, that he would be at the ballpark then and that's when he would, would announce it or whatever. Why would they have agreed to that if they hadn't yet agreed to how much money he was getting? You get what I'm asking? And maybe it's rhetorical, but my, my question, I guess, said clearly and better is, Boris deals with billions of dollars worth of baseball money. Like this ain't his first rodeo. I don't think that he is just going to go, Oh yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll hammer out the details. It's only $105 million. No big deal. Uh, Let's have the press conference on September 9th. And in the meantime, you know, we'll iron it all out. I just don't think that's how he works. I think that they get deals done and, and they, they put pen to paper and the ink dries and then they, they do the presser. Like you're not having a Dylan Cruz press conference before they guys sign. So I don't know. I mean, it is possible. I suppose that maybe this isn't as nefarious as it seems from the ownership side of things or, or the net side of things. Uh, I, I don't, think the learners are bad people. I think they love Steven Strasburg. I think they've been really good to Steven Strasburg. I mean, the, the contract they gave him looks asinine in, in the rearview mirror, but they loved him a lot and they thought he meant a lot to the organization. So they gave him kind of the lifetime achievement deal. So you'd like to think that, this was maybe a misunderstanding more than them saying one thing and doing another. But uh, that's the other possibility. Those are the two sides.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's who approached who. You know, maybe the Nationals approached Strasbourg, like we hear from Tiroli. And that would assume that you're probably going to pay him a little bit more because you're, you know, basically saying, hey, man, I mean, let's be honest here. And so maybe you're going to pay him. Like if they fully said the 100, maybe it's not as cutthroat as basically saying like, hey, we're going to pay you the 105 and then coming back, you know, 10 days later two weeks later, a month later and saying, hey, can we cut that down to 75? Maybe it is something where they're like, you know, Stephen, like we look around the business right now and we'd love to do this. But the way things are going right now, realistically, we probably can't do the 105. Is there a way we can reconsider? And maybe it's. Just something as simple as that. Who knows? Maybe it's just a conversation behind closed doors. And ultimately, maybe Strasburg's like, yeah, we can reconsider, but let's push back a date. Maybe let's not go out there on September 9th. Let's figure out exactly what we're doing here. Maybe it's something as simple as that, and we're overblowing it. I don't think that's the case. I think that there's maybe some more going on here. But maybe from the team side, Strasburg approaches the team and says all this stuff and says that he's probably going to be done and Maybe there was a understanding, but not a full understanding of how much he was going to get. I mean, it's just so confusing, Grant, because it seems like like what you said, you don't set a date for September 9th for a press conference for all of us to know. And like you said, people were starting to know maybe it hadn't been put out publicly, but. You know, we, we understood what was going to happen. I was supposed to be working on Saturday, running the board. And we understood that on one Oh six, seven, the fan, we were going to take Steven Strasburg's press conference live. Like we knew the details of it, even if it hadn't gotten out on nationals Twitter or something like that. So it was something that was going around. Why would that be something that was agreed to if the contract terms weren't agreed to, was there something that just happened in the last couple of days too? like, it just It's a really weird thing because I don't think, like you said, I don't think Boris would set this timeline and agree to it basically as a deadline. Because sometimes, you know, maybe you'd set something like, hey, we got to figure it out by this point and then we'll be good to go. But we can go ahead and schedule this and that'll be kind of our deadline where we got to get this stuff done. I don't think they would do that in this situation because if nothing else, they don't even have to do something like this in the season. Like if they wanted to say Strauss is done – you know, at the end of October or something like that. Like, it's something they could do at any point, even if they wanted to do it in spring training next year. Like, I think we all understood where Strauss is. So this isn't something that's shocking to any of us. It's maybe frustrating and sad to see it all done like that. But we all understood Strasburg was done. So why did they put a deadline on themselves if they weren't clearly done? So it's it feels like there has to be some smoke with the fire that the Nationals – promised something, and now want to rescind a little it, bit of It's that. just the confusion is obvious, right? I mean, one way or the other, they plan
2: something that's not happening. Like, when's the last time that a retirement press conference that was scheduled isn't taking place? You know what I mean? Like, that did, either his flight got canceled and he wasn't able to make it, or that doesn't happen. Like, it's it, are you doing it that day or you're not? And now they're not. So very, very strange. The first time my antenna went up, for what it's worth, Rizzo was on with the junkies on Wednesday on one Oh six, seven, the fan. And they asked him uh, about Strauss and and kind of the the money left on the deal. And you want to talk about good timing here. Uh, He said something to it. I wrote this down. Uh, I'll read this quote. He signed a seven year deal. He's got three and a half years left on the deal and he'll get paid for those four years on the deal until he makes a decision on what his future is going to be that struck me as very odd because the post story was he has decided to retire. He has informed the team. He has informed people. That's his decision. Like what, what other decision is there? So when Rizzo said until he basically makes up his mind on if he's retiring is how I took that. That was really strange. Cause I was like, I thought we were way past that. That was weeks ago. There's a press conference this week. What do you mean? And now of course we know that there isn't a press conference and that quote unquote, the team and the player haven't really agreed yet. So, That was kind of the first time for me that uh, I was kind of curious about what was going on. Now, speaking of Rizzo in that interview, the Junkies did ask him if he plans on being back next year. He said he does. He said uh, when asked if he wants to be back. Oh, definitely. This has been my home for 17 years. I've been here since 2006 and plan on being here for a long time beyond that. I was talking to somebody with the organization about Rizzo, and they said he's made it very clear to people that he wants to win another championship that he thinks the rebuild over the last couple of years has gone well enough that you know they're on the precipice of really returning some of those results, and he wants to be here to try to make another run. So I, I don't doubt for a second that he would like to be here. I still think he will be here, but we have been doing shows for, what, a month since Davey got his extension almost, and Rizzo still doesn't have his. And now this is amid the turmoil of maybe his top right-hand man and legitimately – his closest friend, perhaps, in the organization, in Johnny DePuglia, resigning this week. So it's just hard to you know, not think that those two things are connected, that Rizzo's seemingly fighting and scratching, clawing for the contract he wants, and that De Puglia resigns. And that's all on top of the fact that, as we record this on Thursday, so yesterday on Wednesday, we found out that double digit. 10 plus, I've heard as many as 15 scouts and staffers within the organization have uh, been blown out or, or, you know, removed from their posts and the team's moving on from them. What we can't quite say yet is, is this downsizing? Is it cost cutting? Are they just getting rid of these jobs? Are they going to replace all these people? Because my first thought was, honestly, that they were just getting rid of those staffers, mostly their, their pro scouts. Although I'd say those guys have done a really good job compared to, you know, other areas of the team. The the pro operation and who they trade for and who they bring in and, and that type of thing has kind of been a success. Having said that, as I look at it, Toby, you know, I thought, well, maybe they're just making some major changes. Maybe they're telling Rizzo, look, we'll give you your deal. You've earned it. But you've had a lot of people around for a long time. And we want to kind of get our hands in on this and make some changes. The same way, if you remember, with like Davey Martinez and his coaching staff at one point. Like he was the manager, but they kind of dictated some terms. And eventually he won them over and he got to bring in Jim Hickey and, and all his guys that he, he worked with in the past. So part of me wondered, well, maybe they're just they're blowing these guys out and they're bringing new people in. But Britt Ciroli, and you'll hear the interview that you referenced, kind of said today in her reporting, she's hearing they're, they're just downsizing and cutting some, some staff and, and trimming the department fat, so to speak. But remember why the, the staff got bigger. Like a couple of years ago, they basically said, and I think that, by the way, people in this organization who are high-ranking have been begging for more resources from what I could tell for a long, long time in a lot of areas. So they finally added to a lot of these you know, areas of the departments. And they said that you know the player development or the, the draft hadn't been good enough. And we talk about the results all the time. They weren't. So what's happened in the last couple of years? That, that's gotten better. Look at what the, the early returns from this draft class are with Pinkney and, and Morales and Cruz and some of the guys they've got. Uh, look at the last two years in the minor league system, how guys like Brady house are developing, let alone all the guys they acquired via trade. But that was because I think to some extent, like they spent more and they got a uh, bigger and spent on the right things. And now they're downsizing again, potentially like that is a really tough thing to hear if you're an ads fan. So I hope that's wrong. I really do. I, I hope they end up with the exact same number of people and if they're just moving on and bringing in new people, fine. But my my god, man! If they're going back to like bare bonesing it and just trying to to downsize departments after you just got the result you were hoping for when you beefed things up, like what are we doing here?
3: Yeah, it's concerning because to me, this is all speculation. What we've basically done this entire show because who knows, Strasbourg maybe comes in and retires next year and his numbers retired on who knows, June 8th of next year or something like that. Well, just to I do think so that's happening by the cool. way. If, maybe it's later in September. He will retire. They'll retire. His exactly. Jersey. I'm not worried about that. And so I think, you know, that's going to happen. Ultimately, we both agree that we think Mike Rizzo's back, you know, maybe down the road, they, instead of just completely eliminating positions on the scouting department, maybe they are going to hire those people back again. It's all speculation, but the reason it's concerning to me is this would have been acceptable with another team in town. And I think we know what other team we're talking about. And there was a sale going on. And if that would have happened under the previous regime and there's things going on and they're trying to figure things out with the new sale and maybe you, you don't want to leave the new owner with various things or all types of stuff, right? The craziness that happens when you're going through a sale process. Like if that would have happened with the commanders is obviously who I'm referring to. If this kind of stuff was going on with the commanders, it would have been like, oh, there's an ineptness of the previous ownership or they've got new ownership coming in, so they don't want to do this and all these various things. The problem I have with all of this is we haven't heard any smoke of new ownership with the Nats in forever. Like This is something that might not change. Like It's probably still going to be the Learners team next year. It might be the Learners team still in 2025. We don't know. We haven't heard any smoke on that. And so for this kind of stuff to be going on, It just doesn't make me feel good about the Nationals operation, which it hasn't always been great, but at least as of late, I mean, this has been a very positive year. Like when we've recorded podcasts, we've basically been praising this team all season long, despite some of the results on the field. We've been excited about the prospects. We've been excited about the front office. We've been excited about the managing. Basically, everything's been positive. And then all of this stuff comes out of left field and just, completely destroys a lot of the good faith because ultimately what's happened on the field is nice. But if we can't have faith in the ownership group, we can't have faith that the general manager is going to be retained. We can't have faith that they're going to continue to invest in the resources necessary to create a winning baseball team. Well, then is this all for naught like this really sucks to be talking about this. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's really well said
2: that, is, that. I mean, that was, that was strong. Yes. Everything you said, I'll, co- I'll co-sign. It's just, to me, a stern reminder of how I felt this offseason when it was obvious that there was no money being spent. And you're going out and you're throwing $5 million at Candelario. Worked out beautifully. And, you know, your big acquisition was a two-year deal for Trevor Williams or whatever. And you had this bad team on paper. And you told your front office, make it better if you can. Don't worry about it, though, as long as you don't spend any money. And it was just so deflating as a fan. And you're going, man, they didn't get this thing sold because of the mass and dispute. I don't know when they will. It seemed at that time and still does this week, certainly like ownership doesn't have a whole lot of interest in doing this the right way. I think Mark Lerner probably does because I go back to seeing him in that video on draft night with Mike Rizzo knee to knee when he handed him the phone to talk to Dylan Cruz and Rizzo talking about driving down to Fredericksburg to see Cruz's debut like Mark Lerner is a big time fan, and he wouldn't be, uh, you know that, that invested and around and 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 uh, present if he didn't care and want to do this. So I, I don't know if he's the only one in terms of the whole family or, or how this all works. But uh, this week has been a reminder that at the very highest level, this is still not good, and uh, that probably matters more than a lot of things. So that has been, to your point, a real dose of of some cold water here. Which is unfortunate. Uh, real quick on the baseball front before we get to our Jacob Young interview, and then we'll let you hear from Britt Giroli. Uh, one eye opening answer Did you hear Rizzo on Luis Garcia this week? I did, yes. This was a thing. So uh, Rizzo was asked about Luis Garcia in his interview with the Junkies on the fan. And I've got this quote here uh, about sending him down. And by the way, Garcia is being promoted and coming back up to start this weekend series. I believe he'll be in the big leagues come Friday. So we'll see him for the rest of the year hopefully playing second base. But this is what Rizzo said, why he got sent down. Quote, it was a preparation assignment. We wanted him to go down there and learn a routine, learn how to prepare for each and every game in the big leagues. He went down there and has really tightened up his time in the weight room, batting cage, video room. He's really gotten himself in great shape. He's lost several pounds, which was one of the things we wanted him to work on when we got him down there. We'll see him soon in the big leagues playing second base every day. Uh, now, that comment was made on Wednesday. Uh, as I said, he's, according to the Post, being promoted today. Uh, he'll be in the major leagues on Friday, so he didn't. He wasn't kidding about that. But translation, he was not working like he's supposed to behind the scenes, right? Remember when I said that there were a lot of things that they were unhappy with, with Luis Garcia and his preparation and carrying things over and coaching? But he went into some detail saying, He wasn't in the weight room like he needed to be in season. He was not going through the the batting cage regiment that they wanted him to. He didn't study in the video room like he needed to. Uh, He was not in the shape that they were hoping he would be and even uh, said that he needed to lose weight, which you never really hear talked about and definitely not in season. So that is about as candid and uh, I don't know if I I would say like uh, damaging, but it's as I mean, you want to talk about keeping it real. As as the kids say, keeping it a buck there. Rizzo basically said, we need to get Luis Garcia kicking the ass. (laughs) You know, that's what he was saying. So they sent him down. He hasn't hit a ton. It's not like he's raked or anything. But uh, the stuff that they needed him to fix, they care more about the process than the results. Perhaps all of those things are encouraging and looking up. So now we'll get another look at him. Still very young, right? He's only, I think he's 23. Uh, he's younger than Jacob Young, who we're about to have on the pod, who's 24. But, uh, man, how about that answer?
3: Yeah, I mean, if it were a results thing, I mean, there are plenty of guys on this team that haven't played well for stretches that didn't get sent down or have things happen. So it was clearly something else going on. And it's concerning because, you know, this had to be a thing that they addressed with him multiple times, I'd assume. And. In- you know, Davey calls him into his office and says, hey, you haven't been putting the work in. Maybe that's something he did in May. And then it was something that continued on. And he talked about it in June. And, you know, we've talked about this with Garcia before, where at times it's, hey, they give him some coaching. It sticks for a day or two. And then the next thing you know, it's back to the same old Luis Garcia. And so hopefully this is something that sticks because he maybe just needed to be reminded, like, you're not – given a roster spot on the big league ball club you need to earn it every single day that means you need to continue to work you know there's some guys that are talented enough to get by on it you're not one of those guys pal like you've got to work at it and i think he can still be a very good big leaguer but if he's not going to be putting in the effort then it's concerning but i guess we'll get to see now if he's going to continue to do this we don't get to see the behind the scenes so we're going to have to go off the results but you know i guess we'll probably know whether it works or not because if Garcia gets sent down again for something like this, then we'll know. Like, I think, I think he understands the message, you know, at some
2: point he's not starting or, you know, they flip him, you know, they trade him, whatever. I mean, I ideally now he just becomes their second baseman and they, they figure this thing out moving forward, but you're right. Like he's given us the answer key on, on what they were frustrated about. Uh, All right, one guy that they can't be frustrated about among their young big league contributors is Jacob Young, the 24-year-old former seventh-round pick out of the University of Florida. He's 10 for his first 34 at the plate, hitting over 290. He's got an OPS creeping up on 800. He is four for his last eight at the plate over the last couple of games, had a game-winning hit to walk off the Mets on Wednesday night. He's made great plays in the field as well. This was my conversation with Jacob Young, the rookie outfielder with the Nationals. Welcome on to the show, Nats rookie Jacob Young. He had the game-winning hit for the team in the ninth inning last night to walk off and beat the Mets. Jacob, what a moment. What did it feel like?
4: Uh, it was it was a dream come true. Um, it's one of those moments as a kid. You always kind of put yourself in those situations, uh, playing in the backyard or with some friends, um, and to be able to have it kind of happen in the uh, – in, the, in real life, I guess you could say, uh, was a was dream come true. I was just real happy that I could get get the job done and help us get a win there.
2: Yeah, walk off and all your buddies come out and they're punching you and beating up on you as you're around <laughs> first base. How do you try to stay within yourself there? I think you, you had a good swing and, and then a, a big swing thereafter, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, he's trying to win this thing. And then you ended up having a really, really good, uh, I think, rest of the at-bat. But what's your mindset as you're up there trying to be a hero but not trying to do too much?
4: Yeah, I mean, those moments, try to control my breathing, um, slow down everything and, and just kind of go straight back to the plan, uh, uh, with the pitcher. Just think about what he's trying to do to me and kind of, uh, what I'm looking for. And I just want something up, um, uh, try to drive some of the outfield. He left a couple pitches up early, um, uh, missed some both, but, uh, once I got to two strikes, I knew if I could just get the ball in play, good things kind of happen. And luckily he left another pitch up and I was able to sneak it through the, sneak it through the middle.
2: Second straight multi-hit game for Jacob Young, who's four for his last eight with a couple of runs scored, has driven in a run in three straight games for the Nationals, and he's 10 for his first 34 at the plate as he's getting his first chance in the show, a two hundred ninety four average and an OPS of almost 800 for the 24-year-old. For people that don't know, this has been a pretty amazing season for you. It started at A-plus ball. You spent all of last year in Low-A Fredericksburg. So you're in Wilmington, then you get the bump to Harrisburg. You were in Triple A for five days I don't even know if you've you slept overnight before you got bumped up to the major leagues what has this been like what a whirlwind four levels in one season is abnormal
4: yeah no it's been it's been a wild year um, being spending the whole year at Fredericksburg last year kind of getting to know what pro pro baseball's all about um, kind of learning how to be how to be a pro and how to get through a full season uh, definitely helped out a lot and then this year my goal was goal is just to play well and, and try to try to show that I can I can hit in professional baseball and I, I belong uh, belong and I can play in multiple positions, play a little infield, just kinda of whatever they need and um I got off to a really hot start and it kinda of carried through and I'm I'm just grateful that they gave me the opportunity to, to show that what I can do all throughout and then eventually up to the up to the big leagues.
2: Last year in Fredericksburg, Jacob Young scored hundred eighteen runs. So Aaron Judge who had sixty home runs had more runs scored Nobody else in baseball professionally had more runs than he did last year. And then this year at the three levels, 112 games in the minor leagues, you hit 305 before eventually getting the chance in the big leagues, a former seventh round pick out of the University of Florida. Uh, let's talk about prospect status. You know, everyone right now is, is looking at this system, and it's all about Dylan Cruz and James Wood. And look where they are in MLB Pipeline. You weren't even ranked in the top thirty in the system until a couple weeks ago, as a former seventh round pick, and all you've done is produce. What do you make of the industry of ranking prospects and how we talk about players in the minors?
4: Yeah, it's it's a business. So I mean, the higher you get picked, and kind of it's all about name when it comes to prospects. So it's something I've never been the biggest guy. Um, I'm never someone that's ever been a big prospect coming out of high school or anything like that. So it's something I've never really tried to look into. I figured if you produce on the field, they're gonna find a spot for you. So it's kind of it's always been my mentality: um, play 110, give it, give my all. Um, just don't give them any reasons to to take you out or to not play you. And um, I try to stay away from those rankings as much as possible. Um, those guys up there, James Wood, Dylan Cruz. I mean, they're great dudes. Um, I play with James a while now. I mean, great guy, and he's gonna he's gonna up be a real student too, helping up the Nats. But I try to stay away from him and just do whatever I can to play my game. And and even if it's not really flashy, just get the job done the best way I can.
2: Nat's rookie outfielder, Jacob Young, great story here at the end of the season had a game winning hit last night. He's hitting over two ninety in the major leagues in his first 34 at bats. Did it ever bother you that you didn't get any attention or credit? You know that you were not a highly regarded player in the
4: system. No, not really. Um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those rankings are outside the system. So you, 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 hopefully you kind of know where you stand inside the system, talking to the coaches and just the people that run the nationals. You, you feel confident that they're confident in you. And um, so I, I try not to think about them. I mean, it, it always pre- puts a little chip on your shoulder, wanting to prove people wrong. I don't think that's ever a bad thing. So um, be, being down is never a bad thing. But you know, you just kind of gotta stay within your own own mind and, and stay confident within yourself and kind of let the good things happen.
2: You're five eleven and one eighty. I'm taking the under on at least one of those two. <laughs> what are you
4: actually? Um, the start of the year, I am definitely five eleven. I like to say six foot personally. Um, you know, I think all the five eleven people like to say six foot. Well, I so like to I say that six... I'm
2: six five, So <laughs> I'm sure that you do like to say six foot.
4: But uh, no, I came in the year around one ninety two. So um, I'm probably I'm probably sitting around one eighty right now, but. Uh definitely, definitely the 5'11 is on there, but the 180 definitely fluctuates throughout a long season.
2: So your game, for people that haven't seen a lot of you, it, they're starting to learn this, it's speed and defense, right? You are a 100-mile-an-hour hair on fire, kind of my type of, of player. Is there a major leaguer that you would say is a fun comp or a guy whose game you always admired that you think fits what you want to be as a major leaguer?
4: Yeah, I mean... I think someone, um, someone like I mean a Nationals fan know him well, like Trey Turner. Um, and he played infield obviously, but he, he's that fast. You know, plays hard, always getting the extra base. Um, now he can he can swing it very well too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, someone like that, like just someone that can kind of do it all on the base paths, defense, and then when the bat comes, to kind of let it come.
2: I wonder if you were to race like C.J. Abrams, who wins that race.
4: Oh, I don't know. CJ can scoot. So uh, <laughs> forty bags is impressive. So I definitely like. I love watching him at the top of the lineup, uh, learning from him, and kind of all he does. But uh, yeah, he's been great. He's been great to me so far since I've been up here. Fifty-two
2: steals last year for Jacob Young, thirty-nine this year. Are you faster than you are a smart, good base runner, or, or is it kind of even? Is is it just wheels for you? How does it work?
4: Um, I would say. Uh, smart base running is something that I take I take very serious. Um, being speedy kind of throughout my whole life, it's something that I've always, I would say, look, like looked into more, just the art of base running and making good reads, trusting your instincts. So even when, you know, speed can help you a lot of times, but if you don't get the right read or you don't get the good jump, it doesn't matter how fast you are. So I would say that um, the good base running part, especially when you get up here, is is just as important, more important than the speed.
2: When I was talking to someone when you got called up, and Jacob Young of the Nationals is with me, they said, you know, here are the things he does really well, areas where he's not going to light it up. They mentioned power, which we can get to, but then they said his arm in the outfield. And here you were, a guy with all the outfield assists that you had in the minor leagues, making the throw of the year from center field, albeit to get uh, a catcher who looks like I look, about (laughs) 5'8 and 265, whatever the heck, Alejandro Kirk List sat if I lose a little weight, we could be the same dimension, but I'm not gonna take that away. that throw was ridiculous that was an awesome play uh take me back for nats fans that remember that, and some of the highlights you've made defensively diving catches sliding catches it's been really cool to see
4: thank you um yeah it was just, just one of those moments where running on third only you kind of you don't have to keep it low or really worry about a cutoff you're just kind of letting it fly and um. Luckily, it came, out, it came out perfect, and it was right on line. Uh, especially in those early games, uh, trying to get your first hit in big leagues is something that's a little harder to do, I think, mentally more than anything. So I knew I wanted to help the best I could on the base pass and defense. So I was ultra-aggressive out there. Um, but, yeah, having that throw and having us win that ball game, kind of as my first MLB win felt, felt real good.
2: We hit six homers in the minors this year after hitting a couple. Last year in, in 115 games. Uh, nobody's expecting you to go hit 20 homers, right? You could be a really helpful, good major leaguer without doing that. But I'm curious about the, the power and kind of what you envision ultimately, and if you think it's necessary that you're eventually hitting, you know, 12 to 15 home runs, or if you're hitting 7 to 10, old school center fielder plus defensive player, speedster, if that can still work. Like, how, how do you see all that?
4: Yeah, I mean, Power is obviously something that's that's in the game now, but I think I took a huge power jump from last year to this year anyways in terms of doubles um, and home runs. So it's something that has, I don't think it has as much to do with strength as it has much to do with just swing and swing decisions, swing at the right pitches that you can drive out there. So that's something I tried to focus on a lot this year, but I don't think something like 15 home runs, 20 home runs is, is definitely out of the picture. I mean, guys guys my size, like a Trey Turner, I mean, even a Jose Altuve, they, they hit for power. Um, plenty of it. So it's something that I just got to continue to get better with um, in terms of the weight room and with swing uh, and with the swing. And so it's definitely not something I'm, I'm ultra focused on, but I know it's something that's going to get better as I continue my career.
2: Jacob Young just turned 24. He's played 11 major league games. He's joining us here on Grant and Danny. As far as the system goes, what has the competition that's been created with all the outfielders added done to help, everybody you know players like you elevate your game when you see the team trades for James Wood and they draft Dylan Cruz and Dalen Lyles coming on like gangbusters in Fredericksburg and now Wilmington <laughs> like it's it's been awesome to see what that has done that everyone kind of now is competing against each other in a healthy way
4: yeah and I never think it's a problem to have too many prospects uh in the system so all those guys uh I haven't met Dylan yet but all the other guys I've played with now, either during spring training or for a lot of times in affiliate and they're all great dudes. Um, we're all for each other. We know that the better we play, the better it's for each one of us, kinda of pushing each other and, and just helping the nationals along the way. So it's been it's been a lot of fun getting to know those guys and just having that internal competition. But um no, there there's a couple out guys out there that are gonna come up here and really help out the team and have a great careers. Do you
2: think that the the jump from a plus to AA was the largest or is there another that you would say has felt bigger?
4: Um yeah, that was a big jump for sure. Um just the pitching, you can just more more just the, the stuff everyone has is definitely better and the way they can throw it. Um of course the jump to the big leagues is, is always different. Um not playing too much AAA ball. I didn't get I didn't get too much um too much experience there, but it's just in the big leagues they they can they can throw it where they want to way more than um, any other level and they kind of have they have multiple pitches they can throw, but I would say yeah that that single that high A to um to double A was definitely the biggest jump and uh, getting used to it was was a big challenge.
2: I'm from the Fredericksburg area. That ballpark they have down there now is just gorgeous. What'd you think of the turnout? I mean, they get thousands every single night. It's been a one of the real uh, impressive venues in A ball in all of the minor leagues.
4: Yeah, their, their fans are unbelievable. Um, being there for a full season last year, you become a little bit of a fan favorite being there for that long. But um, I still had fans. They came when I was in Harrisburg, they would come to Richmond for games. Um, they came, I've had multiple people come to D.C. now to watch me from Fredericksburg. They stay in touch with you. They're just great people. Um, they love baseball down there, and they love the Nationals. So it's, it's, it was the coolest place to play minor League Baseball so far. I know we had multiple sellouts, um, playoff game there. It was. It's an awesome place, and they, they're one of the best fan bases in all of minor league baseball for sure.
2: You hit over 300 at Wilmington, so maybe you're the wrong person to ask. But the book on that A-plus level in the system is that's a really tough ballpark to hit at. They used to, I know for a home run derby, they like hit from the outfield toward home plate because <laughs> the ball doesn't travel. Is it as bad as we think it is in terms of offense there?
4: It's, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, there's, they have long grass um it's it's kind of a dead ballpark the ball doesn't fly that's for sure um and you go to you definitely go to some places too that aren't the most hitter friendly parks but i think it's also has to do with the pitching you have a lot of guys that throw uh, really hard down there and they're trying they're they're just learning where it's going so you it's a challenge to really to get your pitch and to be able to um have the right pitches to drive but it's definitely it's definitely one of the challenging more challenging ballparks to Drive the ball um, out of the park and, and into, the, into the outfield.
2: Jacob Young of the Nats, the rookie outfielder, is from the University of Florida. He's a Gator. Have you watched Untold Swamp Kings on Netflix yet?
4: I have. I, I made sure to binge watch that the first night it came out.
2: <laughs> What'd you think?
4: I thought it was really good. I personally wanted a little more, a little more juice. A little, I want some more storylines. Um, you, know, you want to see all the bad things that kind of happen and and um I thought it was I thought it was it was cool to see kind of relive that um national championships and all those good times as we're kind of struggling right now but I kind of I wanted some more dirt I don't know, I wanted to see all the juicy stuff that that went that went on
2: kind of struggling is a way to put it isn't it
4: oh I mean that's a nice way to put it
2: <laughs> what's going on we got to get the gators back to, to being a, a top 15 team in the country man
4: I know. I was hoping with this NIL thing, we, I mean, it seems like all these good teams, you, you pay you pay a few guys, you can start turning it around. But I think Billy Napier is going to be really good. I just – he's he's still waiting for that, that quarterback, which is always tough. So I think next year when he gets his guy, I'm hoping that kind of turns the corner and we, we start getting back to the Gator way.
2: All right. So we always end our conversations with Nats players, getting to know them a little bit off the field. So we'll go rapid fire with some questions for you here. Uh your, good. Number one hobby away from the diamond is what? Golf. So how good a golfer are you, and, and what's your game like?
4: I am very average, I would say. Um, I have my days. Uh, I'm probably around anywhere from 80 to – I'm probably in the 80s usually, low, eight, low to mid-80s. Um, that that dreaded baseball slice comes in plenty of times, but it's definitely something that I, I love doing. It's just a great way to get away from – away from baseball a little bit, but still have you know, those competitive juices flowing.
2: If you could golf with any three people in the country, you get to pick your foursome Ooh. here, round it out. Uh, celebrities or otherwise, people you want to hang with.
4: Who are you picking? Yeah. Well, I'm going Tiger. got go Tiger Woods. Um, I would say I'd love to see MJ in there, another legend, a big golfer, Michael Jordan. And then, hmm, oh, that's a tough one. Fourth one, I'd go uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I know he's a big golfer in, in the community down there, too, so I would, I would go with Trevor Lawrence, too.
2: How about it? I didn't know you were a big Jags fan. You excited for the oh, season to start? They're Jag favorites fans. in the division.
4: Yeah, we haven't been good in a while. I mean, we were good last year, but I haven't been expected to be good in a while, so I'm I'm really excited for this this season coming up, and I'm looking forward to get down to some games when I get back in town.
2: One seed cheat meal. You're going to be as fat as possible without feeling bad about it. What are you eating?
4: Ooh. I would say cheat meal. Huh? I would just say just a big T bone or tomahawk steak. I would say I'm a big steak guy. Big tomahawk steaks and mashed potatoes on the side. Some, some asparagus.
2: My kind of guy. I like that. Well, Jacob, it has been great watching you these last couple weeks. I'm fired up that you're getting your shot in the show and you're making the most of it. Thanks so much for joining us here, and, and stay hot the rest of the way.
4: I appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
2: Nats, rookie outfielder, Jacob Young, as you could probably tell. I've got a bit of a man crush. Long gone. And as Toby referenced earlier in the pod, Britt was on Grant and Danny in D.C., Uh, The show I do with Danny Ruyeh every day uh, on our Beltway Blitz, and we asked her uh, about some of the goings-on in the front office.
1: And to talk about the Nationals, our pal Britt Giroli of The Athletic covers baseball as well as the Nationals. Britt, I I don't really know what to ask here other than something's going on. I don't know what it is. I can't quite explain it. But what we thought was about to happen, Mike Rizzo signing an extension, hasn't happened as yet. And now a bunch of his top lieutenants that he's been very loyal to aren't working for the organization anymore. What do we
5: make of all of it? Yeah, guys, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I've got a story up on The Athletic that's going to detail a little bit more about this. But um, really what you're dealing with now is an ownership group that in the Lerner family wants to sell, but they also want to cut costs right now because they feel like they're bleeding money. And a president in Mike Rizzo, who is unsigned, you know, I've heard there are certain hangups. You know, one of them is the length of the contract. There are some disagreements over that. So while it still remains that that's probably going to get done, in the meantime, we have a scouting department that's been decimated. I mean, as I reported yesterday, a half dozen is what we thought the initial number was. I'm told it's closer to 15 people that are out. Many of these people hired just two years ago by the Nationals because they were going to pump up they're scouting and player development. So it's it's really unfortunate this is an organization in a state of flux, and now you have people who, as you said, were very loyal or had done really good things in the organization who were informed, hey, you're not coming back, and I don't know if they're going to hire or fill those plots if the whole point is to make budget cuts.
2: So that was my question yesterday when I saw this. I thought they were firing people, for lack of a better term, to try to do better in those areas. Are you saying they might just be cutting costs and downsizing departments?
5: That's what I'm hearing. That's what I've heard ever Ooh. since I reported this last night. So I don't think this is the case of, hey, these 15 people weren't doing the job, especially when we're talking about, like I said, the special assistants, the scouts, the pro scouts, who, what, helped them in the last two years, Trey Juan Soto and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Those deals have helped accelerate the rebuild. These people have done a good job, if you're looking at it through that lens. We can criticize the player development and the draft and other things all we want, but to me, the thing that they've done well is they've traded, and you make these trades by having pro scouts on the ground looking at other organizations. So I don't think from what I've heard that this is a case of these people weren't doing the job. It's a case of ownership is trying to save money and we're cutting costs.
1: Yikes. That is never a good sign. Uh So, Britt, let's go to the hangups in Mike Rizzo's deal. I mean, he expressed some confidence. I, I don't know what, what else he was going to say, but he was on with the junks this morning or a, a couple days ago um on our station saying that he wants to get the deal done. This is where he's been for 17 years, etc. So there still seems to be some goodwill there. But But what are some of the sticking points that you're hearing about?
5: Yeah, uh, it is believed that he wants a deal that's a contract length similar to Davey Martinez, which is the two plus one, right, the option here. Um, I've heard that that's not necessarily been something that's been on the table, and I think, you know, Rizzo has pushed back on that and kind of wants to mirror that exact contract length. Um, I think there are changes in personnel that, as we saw, have kind of won out, you know, in some of these firings. I don't think Mike Rizzo, who's a scout at heart, enjoys getting rid of his top aides and people that he brought on just two years ago to say, hey, let's rebuild this. Right. So there are some hangups involved. And this has taken a lot longer than people anticipated because, guys, originally ownership wanted to very quickly get a deal with Davey going, he was always going to be first, as I've written, and then Rizzo, and then announce them together in a press conference. Well, clearly they thought that Rizzo was going to get done quicker because there was no way that Davey was going to be done weeks ago and they were going to be able to keep it under wraps in time for Rizzo. So there has been a lot of dissension, a lot of disagreements about where this is going moving forward, and people have asked me, well, does this mean the learners are staying because they're so involved in this? And no, they're not. They want to keep these two men in place and pass it off to the next owner, and I think they're a little worried salary-wise about having Mike Rizzo for a longer stay and passing that off to the next owner.
2: I need them to worry less about that and worry more about selling. How do I, how do I make that happen? Who do we talk to, Brett?
5: <laughs> Guys, I think you've you got to go straight to the top. I think, I think you should just call Mark Lerner, get okay. him on the hotline, line, see what's going
2: on. But stick aside, I mean, they need to sell then. Right. From what I've gathered over the the last year or so, Mark is actually still really into it and wants to own the team, from what I can tell. Like he was sitting knee to knee with Rizzo on draft night. Rizzo's handed him the phone to talk to Dylan Cruz. I don't know if anybody else in the family is all that uh, much into the team or or wants to be around. Having said that, I, I don't really care about the specifics if they're not going to do the requisite amount of things necessary to allow this team to win and to spend then it's not going to work. Like, What is the steps that need to happen for them to sell?
5: Well, I think, first off, they need to get the price that they have deemed as appropriate. And second, probably most important of all, is that the Masson deal needs to continue to get resolved. Right? We saw those four years get get resolved. I think once that's kind of locked up, as has been widely reported, Ted Leonson seems to be the guy. He's not going to buy a team when he owns a TV network and not have the team that he now owns be on that network. So if they can reach an agreement there, then I think this would move rather quickly. The Lerner family, from what I understand, is basically writing personal checks to keep this thing afloat. They are not bringing in a ton of revenue. There's a lot of people who are not doing a great job on that side of things, and this really just needs to change hands sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, again, I just it's it's troubling to hear all of that, and I I, I guess I, I shared the frustration, I'm sure, of a lot of Nats fans and and Grant as well, is there a way that the learners could turn this around themselves? In, in other words, if they don't get the price they want, we're stuck, they're stuck, we're stuck, we're all kind of stuck in this thing, is there a re-engagement possibility where they don't just go cheap and bare bones with all the momentum that's been built here over the last handful of months?
5: I think that would be the worst case scenario, right? I think the best case is that they they do sell. And there's certainly a possibility they hang on to this team. They hung on to this team much longer than they anticipated when the news first leaked out that they were going to try to sell. So, yeah, that's always on the table. But it's my understanding that, like I said, they are losing a lot of money. And, you know, they're smart people. They're wealthy people. How much longer are they going to say, hey, let's keep losing money here? I think at some point in time, even if they don't get the exact price they want, they may say, all right, we got to cut ties here. It's still smarter in the long run, even if we're not getting the exact sale price we wanted, than to keep it for another year and keep leaking money.
2: Britt, thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, final thoughts busting loose baseball. Toby, we are looking ahead now. The Los Angeles Dodgers are in town to take on the Nets.
3: Yeah, excited to see Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman in town. Hopefully they don't give the Nationals too much trouble. But Mackenzie Gore back out on the mound after coming off the bereavement list. So hopefully all's well with him and his family. Excited to see how he pitches. And, you know, again, it's just down the stretch here seeing how these guys do. Don't let some of the -the off-the-field stuff take away from the excitement we have for watching Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams and all these guys because they're going to be the future of this franchise, whether it's with the learners as owners, someone new as owners. Rizzo is GM, whatever the case may be. Don't let it take away from the excitement of these young guys. To be determined on Betts' status, obviously, for the series. Uh, but good
2: news, bad news, I guess. Good news is maybe the Nats don't have to deal with him. Bad news is he's in the running with Ronald Acuna for NLMVP with his teammate Freddie Freeman. Left the game tonight, fouled a ball off of his foot, and was seen on crutches uh, after the game. He's going to need MRIs, x-rays to figure out exactly what's going on. So we don't have enough info. To expound upon that right now on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Enjoy the weekend series. We'll be back at it early next week. For producer Daris and Toby, I'm Grant saying so long. Remember to spread the word and please tell your friends who are Nats fans to check us out two pods a week, every single week on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Until next time, enjoy your Nats experience.